Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. This is your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life, the sporting life of one of Geelong's most versatile champions. 241 games. He was All-Australian. He was best and fairest at the Cattery. He was captain. The one thing that he doesn't have on his CV is something that we're probably going to talk about over the next hour or so. Barry Stoneham, welcome. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. How you travelling, right mate? On. Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, all going well. After footy, uh, still keep a, a close eye on the Cats, of course, and the AFL, how it's all going, but um, yeah, it's going well. I'm sorry to mention that thing that's lacking <laughs> from your CV, but I'm sure we'll talk Mentioned about quite that. often, just by, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, so I'm sure it is. And I reckon probably it might have been brought home over the last couple of weeks when the premiership reunions have been happening in that wonderful new facility at Geelong. And, you know, you're watching the game on TV the other night and you'll see the shots of the boys having yeah. a few beers together and telling some stories. And obviously that's something that... When you look at that, you would look at that with a tinge of envy, I would think. Yeah, you do, but also great joy as well. Been a Geelong supporter growing yeah. up, so it's great that they won the flags and a fantastic era that they're still still going through. But you're right. I mean, last weekend I actually do a bit of work for the club on match days. Um, the president's function last uh, Thursday night, and interviewed Tommy Harley, Stevie J, and Matty Stokes, which is and they're great champions of the club, great guys, and really happy for them all. But you're right. When they got up there and spoke to their uh, their uh, premiership reunion after ten years, it it certainly brings a bit, gives a bit of a tinge to think. Well, we were there a few times and also close a few other times, um, but didn't quite get it. But as I did say, you look back in oh seven, oh nine, and two thousand eleven as a past player and also a, a supporter and a born and bred Geelong person. It was, it was a great time for the community and the club. So wrap for them all. But it would have been nice just to steal one back in our day. I know you're very close to Billy Brownless. I am. Uh, did you shed a tear like Billy did when the premiership happened in 2007? Look, I certainly had a, a few tears, no doubt, but he was quite public about it because yes. he likes the cameras, <laughs> as we all know, Billy. <laughs> um, I was actually, uh, in the last quarter, I was mic'd up with, uh, I think it might have been Channel 10 at the time, the broadcast mm. station. And um, so they, they were sort of listening to what I was saying in the last quarter, which was which was pretty easy in a way because we'd actually, uh, we actually were, were well ahead. So it was quite an emotional time. I didn't actually uh, shed too many tears. I probably shed more tears, to be honest with you, in the 2011 premiership. Um, I was sitting uh, just with a couple of best mates and in the stand next to John Sharrock and John Devine, all the great champions of yesteryear. Yeah. And uh, Johnny Sharrock, uh, his son passed away around that sort of time, but before he was in our sort of year, our vintage. And uh, Johnny is a, a fantastic man and a legend of the Geelong Footy Club 
was really emotional about it. He'd been sitting there watching the Cats get their third premiership and that was quite an emotional time for me. Um, certainly a different emotion because, uh, as I said, the older fellows who were in the 60s and, and legends of the game, they, they were crying themselves. So it's sort of a bit of a, a crossover effect for myself. It's amazing what this game can do to you. Um, and victory in the biggest game of them all. We only have to look back at what happened in the in the game last year yeah. uh, with the Western Bulldogs mm. and so many people who have said since then, well, I can die happy now. That's right. That's what it means to them. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, it was amazing. And again, not as a Footscray supporter or a Bulldog supporter last year, again, just an observer of footy and, and loving the game, to see them get over the line for a non-supporter was sensational. And you sort of got to the stage of the game and after the game, like you were one of them, you were singing a song and cheering. So the people who go through thick and thin, put their hard-earned money towards the club, watch every game, whether it be rain, hail or shine, and are just devoted supporters of any team, they deserve some victory. And to see like grown people crying and, and kids and so forth and different ages, like even 80-year-olds or 70 or 50 their best day of their life, nearly, to see the Bulldogs win. Mm. What was great, and I suppose it's like a bit of a comparison to Geelong in 07 because we lost 44 years we hadn't win a flag for. It's a one-club town, and the town, half of the people who live there are Geelong supporters and half aren't. But their whole town, just over the years, when you do win a game, it just it's a happier place to be. And when you lose a game, it's a lot quieter. So the joy, and I spoke to Stevie J about it last Thursday night, was... Um, when they actually when they won the premiership, the whole town went crazy. And to see people who have been going year in, year out, seeing uh, four losing grand finals in the in the nineties and eighty nine as well, um, they were just over the moon, and it did make their life some of them. And of course, we talk about the joy that a win brings, but the heartbreak that a loss brings is something that you experienced a couple of times. And we'll yeah. talk more about those sure. games. But in a broader sense, did you feel as though, even though this is quite an irrational thought, really, but did you feel as though you'd let the town down? Then we we had four losing ones in I think it was seven years or something. So as each one we lost each one, it did get worse. There's no doubt because you're disappointed in the town and the community and the supporters that say that they're diehards and they put their every penny, some of them, merchandise and scarves and, and beanies throughout the whole whole life. So the first one or two, obviously, everyone you're shattered about losing. You want to win every game you play, and certainly with the grand finals. But as, as the other two went on, 94, 95, and the town was getting a bit angrier too, I think, yeah. and uh, really despondent. So he took a bit of guilt on that on board because – Certainly, it still sits in your stomach right now as an ex-player to say, we've lost four because you always want to win and we love winning, we're competitive and still are. But you're right, the supporters in the town found it pretty hard. And I think back in the, in the 90s, they had a pretty tough economy as well. And business wasn't great. Was yeah, certainly the pyramid thing. The pyramid happened. thing went down. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Ford Australia, who have been a, a fantastic supporter of the club and still are, kept it going to float. And the club is sort of one of the main parts of the town, if not the main part. And even though half the people mightn't actually follow the club, that they sort of they sort of build off how the club goes success-wise, the town. So as I did say before, if, they, if the club are going well and the team's winning, business is going pretty well in the economy. But uh, when you start losing, um, things drop off a bit. As much as you loved the wins, 07, 09, 11, have you ever gone to sleep at night and thought, gee, I wish I was born about 15 years later? <laughs> every day. No, not every day. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, to, to, to be involved in, in that success would have been great. I mean, footy is a lot different these days, um, as we all know, in all areas, financially, uh, professionalism, as far as what the facilities and support around. But I was wrapped to play when I did. I mean, I had some great long-term, long-life friends out of footy. Um, we worked throughout the day, most of my career, and then we went to training that night. You know, I, I think there was, a, well, there was no doubt there was a blend of 
um, footy and social, um, sometimes over more social. The other. <laughs> but that was a culture of footy, wasn't it? it yeah. was, um, then we trained very hard, absolutely trained really hard, and then play Saturday and you'd socialise Saturday night and Sunday. But um, yeah, you, there are times you sort of uh, dwell on it and get look, it'd be great to be playing now, or even when you start in mid 2000s um, for a lot of different reasons. But I mean, I don't regret one thing as far as when I played. I regret losing grand finals, no doubt at all. And that can never go away. I know some of it, my ex teammates have the same feeling. You'd hope everyone would, um, but it probably hurts more than others. But I certainly think uh, the era I played in was sensational and uh, played with some great players and also some great opponents. We'll talk about some of those great players, but one last thing on this. Uh, one of my guests previously talked about the bond that premiership players have, mm. and he described it as such that if you're walking down the other side of the street and you see a bloke that you played in a losing grand final with, you might wave to him. <laughs> But if you played in the winning grand final, you'll cross the street. Yeah. You'll talk to that guy. Yeah, that's probably one thing. And we had a close bond, our, our group. We certainly have. But there's no reason to catch up as far as there's no reunions. So they, like there's like last last few weeks uh, with Geelong, they had a reunion of 2007. And there's a reason to catch up. So it's actually in the diary. It's a function. Everyone turns up. It's uh, when you don't win one, there's not reunions. There's no player catch-ups as far as let's celebrate the 20 years ago or five years ago. Mm. So um, we, we still have a really tight bunch, but probably don't see each, mother, each other as enough as we should. And life gets busy. Everyone's got things in their life with family and business and everything else. But you're right. It's certainly that there is no doubt there'd be a bond somewhere. And you see the guys, the recent guys who've, who've won premierships and even ex-team, ex-opponents uh, who have won them over the years as well. There's still that real close bond of premiership uh, players. And I suppose I look back to gee, a long, long time ago when I played in Geelong at St. Joseph's Footy Club Seniors and won a flag, which many years ago, there's still that bond there when you see the older players now. So there's something you can't really um, replace, that's for sure. What you were saying is exactly based something that Peter McKenna has said to me over the years, and that is that you don't get to spend as much time mm. with the blokes that you played footy with simply because of that reason, because you don't have that moment to celebrate, that yeah. game to celebrate. And he said he found it a very sad thing that they don't get to catch up as much as they probably should. Yeah, it is. And look, I'm a little bit fortunate in a way where I do a bit of work with Geelong Footy Club on match yes. days. So I see a few of their functions. And so I'm still involved with the club and I still see a few of the team, past teammates and ex-players at different times. And we also try and catch up uh, at least twice a year if we can. Certainly the last few years when Tim McGrath was diagnosed uh, health reasons about three, two or three years ago, we, we sort of got together and said, come on, let's catch up at least once a year or twice a year as a group. If some can't make it, fair enough, but life's getting on a bit. We've played 10 or 15 years together. And and sadly, again, as I suppose as Peter McKenna was saying to you, when Paul Couch passed away, a great mate of all of ours um, last year, when everyone came obviously to the funeral and went to the wake and there were so many past players there together who played in that era. And you think, well, that shouldn't take this to actually everyone together. And I think as years go on now, we sort of think, well, let's make a concerted effort to just go twice a year, go to a pub, go to somewhere, mm. even go to a footy game. Um, there's uh, like new facilities. It's a really good United club that Geelong. So just to catch up and say, I think we had good we might have been and all that sort of thing, tell a few old stories and get better with age and that sort of thing, just to, I suppose, um, reunite that passion we had together. I can only imagine how hard it hit you guys when Couchy left us because anyone who knew him knew what a knockabout, lovable type of bloke he was. Absolutely. But for you guys in particular, it must have knocked you for six. 
Yeah, it really did, and it still does, to be honest. It's, it's still hard to believe, to be honest. He's only a young fellow. He's 51 or 52, and we saw a lot of Couchy over over many years post-football, you know, caught up with him in holidays and everything else. And, you know, he, he was a such a happy guy, and he's got a great family, Geraldine, and the four kids. And he's one person who was very infectious as far as his personality went mm. because, as you know him and everyone else knows him, he's giggling and laughing and yeah. always pretty positive on, on everything in life. So it, it was a massive shock. It really was one of the things, obviously, you never see that coming. Um, but, you know, he, he left a great legacy as far as his uh, positive uh, vibes and his, uh, I suppose, not being too serious with life because that's how he carried on as far as life went. He was a great player, super player, Brownlow medalist, best and fairest, one of Geelong's best ever. Um, and it's still hard to believe when you sort of think, you know, you sort of think I'm not going to see Couchy tomorrow, I'll give him a call. He's not there, but again, great memories. And um, the, the day and night, that time when he did pass, it was uh, just to see the old boys get together was, uh, was one positive out of a, sh- a shocking uh, tragedy. Yeah. Um, one of my last memories of Couchy was at the races one day. I was at Flemington and all of a sudden heard this voice. Sandy Roberts and myself were in the mounting yard and uh, heard this voice yelling out to us. And there he is, hanging over the <laughs> fence at the mounting yard of Flemington with a big smile on he his face. He liked to punt. That's he for did. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, right. He's, as I said, always smiling. I played state footy with him and uh, him and Teddy Whitten got along really well. And yeah. I think uh, he, he was one player, one uh, person who could probably uh, rile up Gary Ablett Senior. Most couldn't because he, he wouldn't go near him as far as he's pretty, you know, he's a pretty tough sort of guy, Gazza. But Couch was, was one guy only, I think, who could go up and ruffle his hair up or give him a punch in the stomach and muck around. And Gazza wouldn't mind at all, but the rest would stay away. We'll talk about state footy. We'll talk about Gary Ablett and we'll talk about plenty of other things on the other side of the break. Barry Stoneham is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And the great Geelong champion of days gone by, Barry Stoneham, is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Baz, you mentioned St Joseph's before. Tell Mm. us your early memories of footy. Yeah, look, I was very, again, very fortunate to uh, go to St Joseph's School as from grade three onwards, so it was a long time ago now. But I uh, born in Geelong with, my, obviously, my family still down there, mum and dad and sisters and, and everyone else down there, nephews and nieces. And St Joey's was a fantastic place to go for school-wise initially and then the footy club as well, St Joey's Footy Club. And uh, obviously they're aligned, but not totally aligned. So a lot of, uh, pl- a lot of people might go to St Joey's College and then play St Mary's or wherever else. St Joey's, um, for me, was uh, and still is, I mean, it's close to my heart. As I said before, I don't really see a lot of guys as much as I'd like to because everyone's busy and, uh, you know, different different parts of town. But uh, I was uh, in year, 11, year 10, actually, at school and um, very lucky to play in a seniors premiership at St Joey's down at Drew Reserve and um, 1984 it was. And, you know, it's certainly one of those things where it's a really good breeding ground for footy. St Joey's, obviously, back in those days and different these days, but... Those days was uh, scholastic, and then you'd have your footy and cricket, and they're probably just as important as uh, the school side of things. Oh, yeah. And it was about 1,500 boys at St. Joey's, and footy was just through your blood. And uh, you'd, every lunchtime, you'd go out and have a kick of the footy end-to-end with 30 blokes each end, and, and then went into the footy club St. Joey's. And from there on, I went down to Geelong in uh, 85 for the under-19s and reserves, and then sort of went through a different couple of scholarship squads and... I think having that local support for me back at those days in 84, 85 and 86 was really important. Having uh, St. Joey's like any school, but St. Joey's are really tight-knit and they might be 10 years apart in age with some guys, but they're still very close and supportive. 
and I sort of found that really good. Went down to Geelong to train with the seniors, which I was like 80 kilograms and really skinny and quite uh, shy at that time. Um, and some of the St. Joey's boys, Tim Darcy, Damien Burke, and these guys were already there. So although I didn't know them that well, they actually look after you. So mm. great memories. And um, I'll still occasionally catch up with a few of the St. Joey's boys. And, um, yeah, you couldn't replace those days. Do you remember your first game? At Geelong? Yeah. Yeah, certainly do. Down at Kinnia Park, which was great. So to be a local boy, play your first game uh, at home ground in front of all your family and friends. And I was 18 at the time. And like, and my first kick was a goal, um, which was great. So I remember uh, they were looking for a ruckman. Damien Burke was injured, I think, in 86. And uh, although I was very, very slight, I was still quite tall, obviously, six foot three or four. And very skinny. They brought me for a half forward flank. And uh, Terry Bright was my uh, idol as a young kid growing up, number four on my back. And um, on a Thursday night selection, they they dropped Bright and brought me in, which was quite ironic. Been uh, a supporter of Geelong many for many years, going to the football every home game, having number four on my back, Terry Bright. And he got dropped for my first game. Yeah. So it was uh, it was it was amazing. It was Mickey Turner was there and all these uh, guys who were people I'd actually um, watch closely every week as a, as a young kid growing up. So to actually uh, go in and play with those senior guys against Footscray was um, was quite daunting and quite nerve-wracking, but a whole heap of my mates came down, um, as you'd expect, I suppose, been in Geelong. Family were there. And um, the first couple of years was topsy-turvy for me, in and out uh, quite a few times. Didn't establish myself uh, for quite a period of time. Um, but, you know, you never forget your first goal or, fir- or first game. And uh, to be at home in Geelong, very special time. Interesting, you should say um, your relationship to the ruck position. You were tall, six foot three, six foot four. Yep. Look at the guys these days. There's six foot five, six foot six midfielders, yeah, Bontempelli, Cripps, these sort of blokes. It's, yeah. it's a different prototype of the footballer today compared to when you were playing. Oh, most definitely. And you're right. The midfielders these days, I was having a chat with uh, Patrick Dangerfield not long ago at the footy club just uh, during a week, and he's nearly as tall as me. Yeah. And you don't realise that looking him on the ground. These guys are, you're saying, six foot three to six foot five, six foot six, midfield types who are very agile, can run, can jump, and strong, and can play anywhere. So it's a, it's a different game altogether. And back in our days in the 90s, we'd have our midfield of Gary Hocking and Couch, we mentioned Robert Scott, Mark Bairstow, who, uh, Sean Denham, who weren't six foot two or three. They were probably six foot, six foot one at that best. Um, so it's a completely changing uh, environment of football and they obviously a lot of them are athletes before they're footballers these days but um, geez, some of these midfielders as you say the bottom pellies and crips and these tall guys are amazing footballers they're just so agile and they cover ground quickly like they're five foot ten yeah but take a mate like six foot five player you talked about a lot of those great names and many of them played in that famous grand final the 1989 grand final yep. was that the most brutal game of football that you ever played in yeah, it was looking back, no doubt. I mean, uh, I think uh, obviously brutal for a number of reasons. One, we probably went a bit too hard at the start of the game and we were very inexperienced in finals and also in our careers, most of it, most of the players. And Did you know what Yatesy was going to do at the opening bounce? Yeah, we did. Yeah, so um, Couch had won the Brandon medal the Monday night before and obviously Hawthorne are a juggernaut, a superpower in the, in the 80s. Dermot, great player, champion, a great bloke. He was a little bit renowned, I suppose, for uh, occasionally picking off a player from the centre square, um, whether it be legally or not. And we thought, well, the grand final, um, he, he, we thought, well, Couchy or Mark Berso, the two prime movers, might be targeted by Dermot or someone else. And throughout the season, uh, we played Hawthorne at Princess Park back then. And Mark Yates had actually, uh, at a boundary throw-in, the, the ball was going up watching a ball, and Dermot ran through Yatesy and lacerated his testicle. 
from what I recall. And um, the Tuesday night before the grand final, we're all in the, obviously the room previewing the game and what we're going to do. And, and Malcolm Blight, a first-year coach, more or less said, this is what we think is going to happen. Let's protect Couchy and Mark Bearsay. So just in case it does, who would like to do the job? And before he actually finished his question, Mark Yates put his hand up and said, I will. So he said, we don't tell anyone. This is actually between these four walls and 20-odd people, which no one sort of told anyone. Um, and then uh, I didn't actually obviously watch at the time because I was watching the ball. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he, he, he did, did it pretty well, Yatesy. But, um, gee, Dermot just got up later on and got two goals pretty quickly. Inspirational stuff. Amazing stuff. And, look, it got got the, us all fired up when Yatesy did that. We sort of, sort of uh, guess we got the first goal after the first minute. You look around, Dermot's down. We thought, oh, that's great. Job's done in a way. And then we probably went a bit over the top. Not probably. We went over the top in the first quarter in particular with a lot of um, head-high tackles, I think. A lot of silly, uh, I suppose, moves from some of the players and all of us probably involved. Just a bit overzealous and a bit overexcited. Um, and then uh, it sort of that put paid to our first quarter. Eight goals to one or whatever it might have been at quarter time. So it was a, it was a brutal game, no doubt, with Dipper and all those guys. So many injuries out of the game after, afterwards. Uh, I'm not sure who would have lined up in the, if it was a draw. No, but, uh, I, I don't think there would have been anyone left. No. It was, well, Dipper was in hospital. Johnny Platten was concussed. Yeah. You had blokes yeah, all over was, the place. Yeah, was out, I think. Yeah. So it was, it was really – and they were, the, if not the toughest team you come up against with those blokes we just mentioned. I mean, you got Dipper and Gary Ayres and Dermot and all these guys who were big, strong, uh, rugged, experienced guys who just wouldn't go down. And uh, we, we came back hard, as we, as we all know, but – I think obviously that first quarter was uh, was certainly was one of the nails in the coffin, even at quarter time. Do you reckon the hatred extended back to the the infamous Bruns Matthews incident between the two football clubs? Yeah, I, I do. It's been a, a really big rivalry, and I know recent days it has been, but it certainly stemmed back from years before I played, and uh, that was just before I started. But I think certainly that um, incident with Brunsey and Lee Matthews and you see the footage now with Jacko and Steve Hawking and a few others involved. The Geelong-Hawthorne rivalry has been, I think, nearly the biggest in footy. Um, I know when we played them many times, uh, whether it be Geelong or VFL Park, MCG, they were, they were great games for one thing, but they were really physical, more than other games, I think. Um, most of the time, they'd always just nudge us too. Um, a lot of important games against Hawthorne and Geelong and I recall like at least six shot at the top of my head they just get over the line and beat us by a goal or three or four points. Mm. They had they had a bit of control over us um, in finals as well until obviously, uh, well, not even until, until 2011 or 12 later on when we turned the tide a bit. But yeah, there's no doubt it stemmed back from many years, I think. Um, it's a great rivalry. There's no doubt. I mean, Hawthorne are revered as far as their finals ability and what they've done for the club. Um, so I used to love playing against Hawthorne just because you knew you'd get a real big contest every time you went for the ball. So you kick 21 goals and lose a grand final in yeah. 1989 and missed the finals the following year. So there was probably a little bit of hangover from the pain of that win. Uh, a couple of years later, you're back in the grand final again. Would you have nightmares if I mentioned the, the words <laughs> Peter Matera to you? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. What, what a champion, Peter Matera. <sighs> did he turn it on that day? Yeah, he did from the wing, didn't he? He was, yeah. uh, he was incredible. Five goals from what I recall. Yeah. Sumich um, kicked six. Sumich six, yeah. In 92, it was... Uh, and that was, and they all got away from us, but I think that was the one, um, out of all the four, in my belief, we really should have nailed. I mean, Hawthorne in 89 was our, this is no excuse, by the way, because um, I said we, we always hate losing, but we were, it was our first go at the grand final. Hawthorne had been in seven or eight in a row. Um, and I think 
they were the best team going around. We were we were a great attacking team. We didn't our defence nothing against the players in defence, but actually our defensive, I suppose, strategy wasn't as good as it mm. probably should have been. I think '92 we were a bit more mature. Um, like our groups, like Billy, Gary Hocking, Robert Scott, all those players, and myself and a few others, probably about 22, 23. We'd had three or four years with Blighty, knew his game plan. We'd put some size on, and I, th- I think we were, we were cherry ripe, ready to go up at half time. Um, we weren't nothing silly in the first quarter. We'd learned from our mistakes previously. And I, I think that game was the one we really should have taken off because uh, Eagles were a superpower again, like a state team. Um, they were a fantastic team. But we, we actually uh, we had their measure. I just think we tied out a bit, unfortunately. There were a couple of other grand finals that were to come in mm. years to come, but you weren't around for them. And we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Barry Stoneham is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. And it's a great pleasure to have Barry Stoneham as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Uh, Baz, before we talk about those grand finals that you did miss in 94 and 95, you mentioned one name name there, Malcolm Blight. Yes. What was your relationship with uh, Blighty like? Yeah, really good, really strong. Um, I mean, I still hold Blighty in awe, obviously the player. He was a champion player and also as a coach, he's left of centre, no doubt about that. Um, But... As a young guy, when he came in in 89, I was 20, 21. Actually, yeah, pre-season, I was 20. And he taught me a lot of things in footy, the smaller things as well. And uh, he's a real competitor as a coach. He was ruthless as a coach. There's no doubt about that. But um, he's very smart too. So he had the record on the board to actually to say what he liked to say. And uh, as I did say, he always said, we get 21 goals and they get 20, you win the game. A great attacking flair that he used to play with as well. But uh, yeah, I love Blotty as a coach. He, as I said, he, he was ruthless. And uh, if you did the wrong thing, you'd know about it tenfold. Um, he trained us very, very hard. When we lost, he'd train harder. And uh, sometimes four or five hours out in the track and one-on-one tackling and, and everything else. But he got the most out of me anyway. I mean, some play, all players, not all, wherever you go in life, some players mightn't get along with a coach. It's going to be that occasionally. But for me, he was fantastic. He supported me. He, uh, I think one of the things too early in my career, and I'd sort of been there for three years. I've been playing back pocket, half forward flank, forward pocket, um, reserves occasionally. And he'd been at Channel 7, I think it was, uh, in the watching or commentating. And he came to Geelong and said, okay, I want to put you at centre half forward for these reasons, and I'll give you 10 weeks. So if you play a poor one, you won't be dropped. And I think as a young guy going into um, into, your, into a new newish career, the fear of being dropped is, is real, I think, sometimes. And uh, people forget that. As a young guy, you're, you're only 20, 21. You might play a poor game, and sometimes you just it's in your mind all the time. Where if the coach says, "I'll give you ten weeks to prove yourself," so don't worry about it. Don't go out worrying about next week. Just have a go, develop, and improve. And that's what actually really helped me a huge amount. So I might have, you don't play well every game, but as a young guy, you drop one, then all of a sudden you come back up the following week, knowing you're going to play at centre forward that following week. So to me, he was fantastic. There's no doubt about the fact that he's a football genius of sorts, but normally when you have a genius, as you said, they do tend to come left of centre a little yeah, bit. that's right. What's the weird blighty story that you've got? We've heard oh, a few. Gee. Yeah, gee, how long we got today? It's, um, <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's a, uh, the Indian story. We went to Peter Burnett, who's a publican down in Geelong and a massive supporter and corporate sponsor of the footy club. Went to his uh, 
his house one day before a game. We're walking out and the supporters are walking in. They wonder what's going on here. And we sat around and he smoked an imaginary peace pipe and went around every player, Chief Bearstow, what will you do today for Chief Stone? And we had little uh, teepees over our head. All that sort of thing. We won the game. Now, whether it's because of the teepees, I'm not quite sure. Uh, it's a huge amount. We lined up uh, when we played Adelaide in Adelaide, Adelaide Oval one time. We lined up well before they came out and then they sort of found out that we were actually out there waiting for them. And they, I think they came out behind us. All those things, all these things, and you try anything. And I did say, and at times, if they didn't come off, he'd, he'd admit fault. Um, I know we, our first qualifying final against Essendon uh, in '89, we stopped at the Altona like, hockey fields they are now on the Westgate. It was blowing an absolute gale. It was about 100k winds. We went out for a kicking session before the game, and it was terrible. There was balls going everywhere, and you know, you get back on the bus and you think. Your confidence goes from there to there pretty quickly Yeah. before the game. So try anything to try and get the most out of people. And if that was actually giving a couple of guys a hard time for various reasons, there was a method behind it. And um, he was a very competitive man. But uh, as I said, I'll hold him in awe and uh, still occasionally give him a call and say good day because he he's a great man. He is indeed. 94 and 95. I mentioned those grand finals, but you weren't there. Yeah. And that was because of a shocking injury that you suffered. Mm. Can you take us through that? Because we've seen some awful broken legs over the years, yeah. in recent years in footy. What was your injury? Yeah, so I actually broke my fibula and also my ankle at the same time in 94. So I can't recall the round. It was towards the end of the season. So at uh, Princess Park against Fitzroy, up in the ruck, uh, ruck contest. And we, I locked hands with the Fitzroy Ruckman, came down and just broke my leg and ankle, right leg and ankle at the same time, which obviously is not a, not a great thing. I was coming up towards the finals. We'd lost those two grand finals, 89, 92, 93. We'd had a great second half of the season. And 94, we were looking pretty good. Um, so I must admit, I, I was at fault to an extent as well. There was a few different reasons, but I won't go through the other ones. But uh, for my personal reasons, um, was I, I was told at the time, if you can stand the pain, You'll be able to play. So I went out after two or three weeks training-wise, training at St Mary's back in those days due to uh, those resurfacing at Caninia Park. And it got to the stage where I could not stand the pain and I go to kick the ball and just wouldn't even get off my foot as far as a lack of power. And I was still broken the leg and the ankle. So, you know, it was pretty silly to do that at the time. But when the club's playing for their third grand final um, and I was uh, vice-captain at the time as well, you do anything you can to try and get on there. Um, so that sort of set me back quite a period of time um, I went back into pre-season in January, started training, was a bit sore again, had x-rays and it was still broken. Mm. So another year out. So it was certainly uh, a whole host of reasons and um, I think it was just that uh, situation where the leg hadn't mended properly, got a bad infection, which was re- real, a real worry at the time as far as uh, longevity with my leg, um, but fortunately came back in 96. Could it be that the medical treatment was not exactly what it should have been at that time without wishing to put any blame on anyone, but were there mistakes made with the medical treatment? Yeah, look, I believe so myself. Yeah, and uh, said not enough time to go through it all, but I, I certainly think there was a couple of procedures that probably shouldn't have happened at the time. Um, you think back now and uh, you think, gee, if that happened in these days, it'd be hell to pay. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I remember getting x-rays and still had them, probably throwing them out now, but you used to see I'd, like 14 screws in uh, in my leg and there was one pointing the wrong way and all that sort of thing. So you sort of, uh, yeah, back in those days, I think I was, I was pretty angry also. Did um, you ever think about going down the legal path with that, Baz? I, I did, but I, th- I thought if I did do that, I'd bring other people in, into that, which I didn't want to um, because there was other people in the club who supported me and still do to this day through thick and thin 
and I didn't want to get involved in it. So it crossed my mind, no doubt, because I was angry as a young player, probably the peak of my career right at the time. And uh, when I missed a year and a half, I was angry for quite a long period of time. But um, yeah, I thought if, if I get involved in in that sort of area, um, it won't, won't end well for anyone. Would I be right in saying that you were also angry at halftime of the 1995 <laughs> grand final uh, that you didn't play in? You would be right. Uh, yeah. What did you do at halftime? Because I think you yeah. had the bag of fruit on, didn't you? you were what I'm wearing today, up. I was yeah. more or less wearing the same day, 22 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and what happened? Uh, yeah, it was against Carlton, of course, in the grand final. We were being belted and um, I'd miss that year and a half. So I was still I was red hair. I was still a bit angry anyway. Yes. Um, I was sitting on the bench at the time on the boundary line and uh, – the way it happened is a couple of people behind me who were Geelong supporters are really giving my teammates a hard time, which, you know, I know they were angry as well, so they were pretty critical. And then uh, the siren blew, it would have been eight, ten goals down maybe at half time. And there was a little scuffle or a bit of a fight um, back in, say, our forward pocket. And Billy Brownless was actually involved, which was a bit of a worry at the best of times, against Ange Christou, Fraser Brown and Kuda Feeders and a few others. So I started going across to the race, obviously to go into the half time, and they kept on going around the boundary line. And we just coincidentally met at the same time. And, uh, yeah, look, I'll probably sped up a little bit to try and catch up just to make sure we met right at the race. And I got a bit involved in a bit of a fracas with, uh, I think, Fraser Brown and Christo and Kuda Feeders and whoever else was there at the same time. Just um, I may have thrown a couple. Not very good ones, I must yes. admit, because I didn't really hit anyone. Just scraped them over your chin and then kept on going into the, uh, into the race. And it uh, wasn't a great move. And I do recall uh, Ayersie was our coach, our first, it was the first year of his coaching in 95. We got belted, as everyone knows, by Carlton. And then we had a Monday evening review of the game, which was pretty tough after four mm. grand final losses. And uh, we were sitting there and embarrassingly so, he said there was only one player in this club who had a go on the day and he was wearing a suit. And I, sort of, <laughs> I sort of ducked my head and thought, oh, how embarrassing is that? But it was one of those things where, you know, it got the better of me, a bit of rage, um, frustrated with losses and also with um, – injuries and everything else and looking after your teammates and yeah it wasn't my proudest moment did it adversely affect your bank balance uh yeah it did actually yeah <laughs> it was a bit of a uh, a figure fine for that um so it was uh, a reasonably large figure i think there was for the time four figures actually mm. which is large in anyone's language let alone back then yeah yeah <laughs> all right so that's 95 and then uh we fast forward five years um, and you come to the end after a final in 2000. Yes. That was that was the swan song. First ever final at the Dockland Stadium. Against Hawthorne again. Yeah. Um, and I, I tore my calf. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, that, that was um, a really unfortunate way to go out as well. Obviously, uh, we'd had a few goes in the late 90s. Didn't get to the grand final. We had finals in the 77, and we had a pretty good team, a team with Lee Colbert and all these guys. And 2000, yeah, I was certainly done. I mean, the club were very good to me to let me play another year. Because I was probably finished in the end of '99, and Brian Cook came in and more or less we had a chat and very honest and a, and a fair appraisal. Sort of said, "Well, you know, we think you're done." Bombers' first year as coach, um, and he wanted me to keep stay on for one extra year. So uh, I suppose help out the younger guys and uh, just be a competitive beast if I could be, um, and not take ten marks. And or if I could, if I could, be great. But just to be a a real competitor. Um, so that, that was great for me to keep me on for another year. But then. Um, yeah, I, I, Hawthorne beat us. Was it the, it was the elimination final, maybe? Yeah. Um, and I tore my calf. So not a great way to go out. I mean, it would have been nice to go out on a, on a high. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And, you know, it just sort of uh, – I just snuck away into the background. And uh, that was it. An emotional time to finish – for anyone to finish their career in anything. 
and especially after being in for 15 years and a massive part of my life. So I think whenever you finish your career, it's always emotional, but having those the ties still there now makes it a little bit easier. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk about one other thing about your footy career that we haven't touched on, and that's the big V. And that was something that you were synonymous synonymous with for a long time. And also talk about your great mate, Billy Brownless, and uh, what you've done over the years together. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals with 23 chapels across Victoria and online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Back to wrap it up with Barry Stoneham on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And Barry Stoneham has been my guest. Our final segment with uh, Barry Stoneham now. Baz, um, I probably first got to know you a little bit when you were wearing the big V in that great era. And it was often said that Dale Waitman might have been the first player picked in Victorian yeah. teams in those years. I reckon you weren't far off it. You loved the big V games, oh, didn't you? Yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, look back now, and Andrew Buse is another one with, with Flea, probably the two of the guys who yeah. played week in, or sorry, year in, year out. Yeah, sensational times. And um, you see footage occasionally now um, of Footy Park, South Australia, Teddy Whitten, um, Bobby Skilton, all those guys. Just uh, the biggest thing in their life was the big V. And it was amazing because, been, again, being a young player, I played in 89, I was only 21. So to go up to MCG and, and for training was really nerve-wracking for, mm-hmm. as a young St. Joey's locally born Geelong guy because – You'd watch Greg Williams and Demet Burton and Plugger and Jason Dunstall and these these guys, and all of a sudden you're actually training with them. So he didn't want to put a one didn't want a word out of place. He actually really said everything right. He just said, yes, hello, how are you? Nodded politely and just did your thing because these were these were legends of the game. So to actually play a few games with the Big V in West Australia against South Australia, MCG was was amazing and uh, very very lucky to have played that. I'm sort of disappointed it's not still on because it's one of those things that you cherish for the rest of your life. I recall when I my first selection in the Big V, um, Teddy Whitten called my parents at home, which was uh, which is a big thrill because Teddy was uh, on 3GL at that time, K-Rock. Yeah. So he sort of Geelong, saw Geelong quite often. And uh, to bring up mum and dad's place when I was living there at the time and dad answered the phone and have Teddy uh, speak to dad saying your son's been picked for Big V was uh, one thing you never forget. Mm. And uh, to actually run out in the ground in all those states and play – top-level football, and, and keeping in mind, too, you'd play on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, and then you'd play the following Saturday and at, at Geelong. So it was one of those things, you'd play three games in a week, but you'd never replace that for anything because it was sensational. Playing the best with the best of the best against the best of the best was uh, was a great a great career thing for me. It just reminded me with Teddy uh, calling for 3GL, used to tell people to get stuffed out of the commentary <laughs> box window every second <laughs> he week. Was insa- he was the best, Teddy. He was sensational. <laughs> uh, a legend, an absolute legend. Billy Brownless is a bit of a legend. He tells me that all the yeah, time. Likewise, yeah, likewise. Uh, you've had a fair bit to do with Billy over the years. few business ventures. Yeah, <laughs> we have. One in particular, yeah. We started the same year um, in 86, and obviously a country boy coming down. So we were, we were pretty good mates. We started up a year, well loosely turned restaurant mm-hmm. um, called Players on Mallop in Mallop Street in Geelong. Yeah. Um, didn't last that long, which is no surprise. It lasted about six months, and we had no idea in a restaurant caper. We, it would have been 93, 94 or something, and uh, we thought we could do anything we'd like when we played football down there. Opened it up the Christmas time, opened the doors, and all of a sudden it was packed out with 150 people and no structure and no waitresses, and it was a breakfast, lunch, dinner, licensed venue. Um, had no experience at all in either any of those. Um and Billy might argue with this, but he uh, he was a sandwich man. Um, and a couple of times there was a couple of customers came to the counter and said, new owners here? We said, yes, there are. Um, this is this is us. 
And one lady said, uh, can you have a look at this, please? And she ordered a ham, cheese, toasted sandwich yeah. and opened up the bread, the top part of the bread, and there was two bite marks, two bite marks oh. in the cheese wrapping slice because he hadn't taken the plastic off before he cooked it. <laughs> so that was, wasn't a good start to our uh, caper. And another time just to... Uh, I know time's limited, but um, another person came up and said, oh, new owner, same sort of question. We got it quite regularly, actually. And he said, I asked for a chicken sandwich, and look at this. There's about five little pieces of chicken just in between the bread. So we thought, okay, we'll go and fix it up for you. Went out to the back and came back with a whole chicken and a piece of bread on each <laughs> on each end. So uh, needless to say, it didn't last that long, but um, it was Is good it true fun. that he also used to sample the milkshakes? He did, yeah, yeah. every time. That's uh, He likes his food, Bill, and he's yeah, He does, yes. Um, yeah, every time a chocolate milkshake or strawberry milkshake, he ducked below the counter and just have a taste first and then just ditch it over to the patron. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. It was, yeah, sensational. And, and Billy's been... Uh, He's been a great mate. Um, he turned 50 this year, had a big 50th. and um, My know, invitation he, must have got lost in the mail. <laughs> I think a few did. Um, but he, he's, I think people forget, as I said on, on the night, I, made it, I said a few words, that forget how good he was as yeah. a player. Um, he's, I think he's fifth highest goal kicker for Geelong ever, mm. behind obviously Ablett, Wade, Stevie Jay's there. Um, so he's, he's been a great player for Geelong over many, many years. But um, And also... He's a massive club man. I mean, not from Geelong, but more or less think he, he, he should be because he's still there all the time at the footy club, loves the club and uh, a great mate. But, uh, yeah, certainly I'd, I'd suggest that in the future we wouldn't get involved in the restaurant, him and I. Could be a very guess. good idea. Very good at eating food, not so good yeah, at preparing right. it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, just finally, Baz, what's life hold for you these days? What are you up to? Yeah, I work at a company which actually just changed names called DXC Technologies. So uh, it used to be UXC, so not a big change of the, of the name, but we've been, uh, it's an IT consultancy company. So it's now the biggest globally in the IT world. Um, 180,000 employees globally, a lot of offshore and India and so forth, all end to end IT. So our business uh, division is across. Uh, IT projects. So it's a consultancy uh, company and been there for nearly eight years. It's seen a lot of change and a lot of growth and uh, it's all going well. I never would have thought to this day of being IT, Peter. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. Being a St. Joey's boy, qualified teacher and restaurateur with Billy. Yes. And now I'm in IT. Quite diverse. Well, it's obviously serving you well because you're looking well, Baz. You've got a big birthday coming up. Yeah, uh, I have. We wish you well for that. And uh, I've got to say, as someone who saw a lot of football in the time that you were playing, whether it was at centre-half back or centre-half forward or in the ruck, uh, in the big V or in the hoops, you were... Uh, a delight to watch. Thanks, it's buddy. been great to sit down and relive some of those great moments with you over the last hour. Thanks, Bess. Thank you very much. Been great. Thank you. Barry Stoneham joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll celebrate another great sporting life same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.